Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skabitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Dr. Kayvon Stassen to the podcast to discuss autism and employment. This is an important subject as many adults on the spectrum struggle to find fulfilling jobs or careers. Dr. Stassen serves as director of the Frist Center for Autism and Innovation, where they work to understand, maximize, and promote neurodiverse talent. The Frist Center represents a collaboration of Vanderbilt engineers, scientists, disability researchers, and business scholars, together with major employers in Nashville and leading autism-related organizations nationally. The Frist Center's ultimate purpose is to advance workforce innovation through the employment of autistic adults. Dr. Stassen also shares the parent perspective as the father of an autistic individual. We're so excited to learn from you today. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Stassen. Thank you for having me. This will be fun. Yeah, so I, I'm going to start on a, on a tangent just because your background is in physics and astronomy. <laughs> yeah. Yet somehow you got, you got involved and your interest kind of morphed, I guess, and now you're with the Frist Center of Autism Innovation. How'd that happen? Well, you know, as with many things, I think for many of us that, you know, that come from a, a place of personal passion, you know, that, that, that was really the start of the journey for me. As an astrophysicist, um, you know, I, I have, I, I learned many years ago as an astrophysicist that if I wanted my research team to make the best discoveries, to have the most, have the greatest impact uh, on our research, uh, that I could only do that if I really engaged a diverse team, uh, taking advantage of, you know, of all, you know, of all of our unique diverse capabilities. And when my firstborn son uh, was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, that was more than 10 years ago now, I started thinking, you know, what are the ways in which my son's future abilities, his future unique capabilities that I hope the rest of the world will, will recognize in him, hmm. what are the ways that I right now as an astrophysicist, as a scientist, can start to um, you know, do better astrophysics? Uh, by yeah. by bringing neurodiverse people into my team. That's an amazing kind of path that, that you took there is that, yeah. I mean, the, the idea of taking your passion and mixing it with where your passion is with your family is that, you know, number one is that I want to make sure I'm creating opportunity for my son, for my family, is that that sounds like it's like the perfect marriage of science and technology plus, you know, that, that, personal aspect, which drives innovation. So if you don't mind me asking, is that so autism in Nashville and in Tennessee in general, that was probably one of the last states to take on a, an actual mandate for coverage for service. What has it been like your journey as far as with your son? I'd love to hear kind of, you know, how you navigated some of those challenges. Well, um, it was hard, you know, I mean, I think, I think anyone who's been down the, you know, down the journey of, of autism with a loved one has, 
have some have some similar stories. You know, I, at the beginning, uh, my wife and I were worried. We you know we thought, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean for our son? Um, and so we began to think, you know, honestly, we began to think mainly about his challenges, his deficits. We began looking into therapies. We went to parent and family workshops, um, you know, really, really thinking about and worrying about, um, you know, what, what, you know what, what are the things about autism that are, that's going to make life harder for him and what can we do to help make life better for him? Um, and what we realized is that, so through the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center, for example, tremendous resources for uh, young children, for, uh, for, you know, for, for therapies and interventions and, and workshops and trainings for parents, right? Enormous resources. And then in the public schools, um, in many cases, even better than in the private schools, uh, the special education teachers you know, were ready to start thinking through IEPs and accommodations. And little by little, we began to realize, oh, wow, there's all of these supports in place where we started to run into problems was all of those things that have to do with, you know, as soon as he started getting a little bit older than being a little kid, <laughs> mm-hmm. he started to transition into adolescence. And we wanted to really think seriously about pharmaceutical interventions that might um, help with some of his behavioral challenges, help with his attention and focus, um, frankly, to help with some of his anxiety and depression. And then thinking now into his future adulthood, which is only a few years away, we realized, you know, we had to work really hard and basically word of mouth to identify the right psychiatrist, to identify the right psychologist. Do you actually have expertise and knowledge in, you know, the intersection of autism with all of those things? And then <laughs> if you now start thinking about the world of, of adulthood and employment, there was nothing. Yeah. Um, and that's the cliff, right? That many of us face. And yeah, that was a major and, motivation for starting what we started. Such a, such a drop off at that age. And I, I, I see this as far as there's so much advocacy going with getting that early intervention service, those youth services. So hopefully you're, you're building skill sets. You're empowering these young children to be able to utilize and to engage in the environment in the way they want to. But then you get to adulthood and some of the little smaller skill sets, the ability to control your anxiety at a job interview or follow a conversation in a way that you're going to give support to somebody else in your field of employment. Those are challenges that that exist. What were some of the other things that you saw for adults were missing or are currently missing that you're trying to fill the gap right now? Yeah, so I mean we've really been thinking hard about employment. If there's one word that really drives and motivates everything that we've been thinking about from our technology inventions and innovations to our work with companies and workplace practices and accommodations, it's how do we get people trained up to be ready for work? How do we develop their life and independence skills so that they can get to the job? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And how can we support the individuals and very importantly, transform workplace culture? So we've been developing some technologies to, for example, um, help autistic teens and, and adults learn how to drive a car because, you know, for many 
uh, individuals on the autism spectrum, there may be a fear, there may be, um, uh, there may be some challenges in terms of their attention and so on that make it difficult for them to learn how to drive. And in many places in our country, if you don't you know, drive, okay, there may be ride sharing services and so on. But the fact is that can be a real barrier to getting to work and, and keeping your job, right? So, um, so there's that aspect of providing tools and trainings for individuals to be more capable and more ready for work. But the, but the other side of the coin is doing work with companies and workplaces and workplace culture. Because one of the things that has happened happily in the K through 12 schools, I would say, is, you know, and this is different from when I was growing up. Um, you know, my son has not experienced much, if any, bullying. Um, I would say that, you know, his teachers certainly, but they also have set a tone for the other kids. You know, I think by and large, he is he's welcomed and um, or at least tolerated <laughs> uh, for his differences. But when it comes to workplaces, you know, th it can be, you know, if the workplace culture isn't right and if there hasn't been good education and, and training for co-workers and managers, you know, many, many workplaces can be darn right harsh environments for, for yeah. people different. Yeah. And, and that makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense is that if, even if somebody is very good at their job, if you're not understanding how that handoff is occurring, is that oftentimes that turns into frustration rather than trying to gain acceptance and understanding. It's, it turns into this, this battle of, well, you're causing more challenges for me in the workplace, which is not what we want. Um, and I guess what I'd be looking at is that your message of acceptance is so powerful, um, but it's, it's helping others to understand that there's strengths in the workforce by having people who are identifying as autistic amongst your workforce and working together. Uh, what are these strengths that you're seeing as you're going through the training of job forces? And I know it's going to be a broad spectrum, but um, what, what are some of these inherent strengths that you're seeing from individuals with autism that help support the workforce? So I would say that um, one of the things that we see that's, you know, that, that, that is somewhat common among many individuals with autism is strength in what we, what we call broadly the visual cognitive domain. Uh, so the ability to spot the, you know, to, you know, to, to recognize a pattern that, that somebody else might miss, uh, or um, to recognize, you know, you know, the, the one thing that's different, uh, you know, the, the, the one widget that's defective, and, you know, off of the millions of widgets coming off the assembly line. Um, ability to maintain focus and attention if the task is of interest. Mm -hmm. um, so again, you know, every individual is every is an individual, right? We you know we say if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Yeah. <laughs> but it is nonetheless the case that there are, for many individuals with autism, strengths and and in some cases really quite exceptional strengths in this sort of visual cognitive domain. I do want to say, however, that more and more I and my my colleagues are learning that. If there's one truly universal, um, common strength, you know, unique capability that many individuals with autism have, it's not even so much in a particular kind of skill or task. 
but rather this incredible ability to just sort of think outside the box, mm-hmm. to imagine possibilities that many of us might not even consider because, you know, we've learned how to sort of think about things and see things in a certain way, right? The right way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do we say? You know, innovation often occurs at the edges, right? Yep. Just beyond the horizon of perspective that most of us have. Um, and so this is where we're really seeing the value add uh, neurodiversity hiring. It's not even so much bringing in the right autistic person for the right task, but rather the ways in which having that very diverse perspective and way of looking at things and thinking about things can enable innovation in ways that, that you don't even imagine. Right? And, that, and that's what innovation means, right? Is that you don't, you don't know where the road is going to go, but mm-hmm. by bringing in this incredibly different way of thinking and seeing things, now your organization has a capacity to go there. Yep. And I look at the history of, of treatment for autism is that it used to be extremely rigid and it used to be set up in a way where potentially innovation was stifled and abstract thought or tangential thought was stifled, which I would imagine in an innovative technology company, that's, that's what you're looking for. That's, that's who you want. Um, how, do you, how do you coach? How do you help employers to be able to kind of harness the strength of their employee while also assimilating them into the company culture. It, it sounds like at times the employer needs skills to be able to do that successfully or else they're gonna create uh, more of a challenging work environment. So how do you coach that? So, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of company executives, a lot of managers, um, you know, there's a couple of kind of, um, I don't know, uh, um, you know, mantras of, of, of business and management um, that I think it is helpful sometimes to kind of turn on their heads, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, one is, uh, you know, there's been a lot, of, a lot of effort in many companies over the last decade to, you know, focus more on soft skills, right? Yep. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I, you know, we like to remind managers and companies you know, hard skills matter, you know, still matter a lot. <laughs> and so meaning um, that, that in particular with this population, if you want to really be able to see what are those hard skill capabilities that an individual can bring, you may really just need to look through or beyond the soft skills. Mm. Um, that's not to say that you abandon soft skills, you know, across your organization. Of course, those things are important. Um, but but you know, but 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 thinking individually about what individuals can contribute and bring to your organization, sometimes you know, set the soft skills aside a little bit and remember those hard skills really, really, really matter. That's that's where the work gets done, right? Yeah. You know, one of one of the other things that that many leading you know business leaders and managers um, already do, or I think try to do, is you know the idea of betting on the person, right? Mm-hmm. That sometimes the ways that you really actually bring the best people into your organization is not to think about, you know, what specific job role or task can I stick this person in? But here's an individual that I've, that I've met who clearly is 
brilliant in some special or unique way. Mm-hmm. And I just want them in the organization. I don't exactly know what for. Mm-hmm. But I know that if I bring them into the organization, good things are going to happen if I support that person right, right? This idea of betting on the person mm-hmm. is something that I think many leaders already do. This is a case where, um, uh, you know, where, 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 where it really, really makes sense to do that. Absolutely. And I think it's easier to bet on a person that you fully understand. And for somebody who may be more neurotypical and, and not, not be neurodiverse, their thought process probably is more in line with another person who's more neurotypical. So it's easier to bet with what you know. And I think it's a little bit harder to trust that, hey, there are a lot of skills that this person's going to bring that those others won't. Yeah, I need to right. bet that that advantage is is going to overwhelm and and really push us. And I like that thought process. I think both those mantras are super important. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, we don't even get to that level, though, uh, right. because the job interview itself stops people from entering the workforce. What is it that the Frist Center right now is doing for that job interview? I know that technology has been brought in. And, and so what does that look like? How, how is that technological support being built? Yeah. So, you know, look, I think, you know, the future that we all want to build toward is one in which the very nature of recruiting and hiring and onboarding is one that is enlightened and inclusive and welcoming of all, of all people, including neurodiverse people. Until that day comes, <laughs> mm-hmm. we need to equip our folks uh, to succeed in the world as it is, okay? And so, um, and so we are, for example, uh, developing a, a virtual reality, uh, natural language processing, artificial intelligence, biofeedback-based job interview practice and coaching system. Wow. Uh, and so the idea is that you can, an individual with, you know, with a job coach or with a vocational rehabilitation specialist, they can go into this, uh, uh, you know, simulated job interview. It's, you know, it's immersive, you know, the, the virtual reality technology now is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the AI and the natural language processing, it's not just, you know, a neat realistic job interview scenario. It's really interactive and adaptive so that the virtual interviewer can be asking questions. The interviewee can be responding with, you know, whatever length, you know, whatever verbal abilities they have. And the system, the AI is intelligent enough to hear what the interviewee is saying. And then the virtual interviewer can respond in some appropriate way. We, and, but it also has embedded within, and this is very important, biofeedback in, 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 two ways. One is with eye gaze tracking. So the system is constantly monitoring where is the individual looking in this virtual scene, right? Are they making eye contact at least some of the times? Are they, um, you know, if the interviewer is, um, um, you know, say, you know, a member of the opposite sex, you know, is the interviewee maybe kind of looking in places that are not appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Look, I mean, let's get real. I mean, these are all things that, you know, we just need to help our folks um, be better at, Mm -hmm. uh, given the world the way that it is. And so this system is designed to really provide a real kind of practice and just, you know, in a non-judgmental, but very, very concrete way, um, 
uh, help those individuals learn, you know, okay, you know, these are, these are moments in this interview that seem to cause you a lot of stress. We can monitor the stress levels and the anxiety levels. So let's think through that. How might, you know, how might you anticipate that better um, next time? Um, You know, let's, you know, let's, okay, maybe eye contact is difficult, but instead of looking, you know, at the person's chest, well, you know, maybe look at the clock just over their shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is the kind of information that people need if they're going to be successful. Absolutely. And, and doing it in a safe place and getting real concrete feedback that is, is actionable. I think that's what we all look for whenever I, we're going into a practice environment is I, I want to know that I can fail successfully yeah, and that the feedback is going to make me better over time. Yeah, I think that this technology is just such a nice piece to be offering as a tailored technology to the to the autistic population, or even just to non-autistic people who are difficult having difficulty with uh, job interviewing skills. Where Jeff, I think you know, you just, you, I think you just said something really important um, because you know we all know that learning through mistakes is one of the most important ways that human beings learn, mm-hmm. but for many people with autism making mistakes in the real world can be really fraught, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with peril and with, with anxiety. And, um, and so what you just said is really important, right? right? What we're doing here is we're creating environments where learning through mistakes can happen, but without that sense of risk and peril. Kind of brings in the, the other piece for the technology, which is the driving simulator, which I thought was super cool when I was able to kind of read about it. Because back in the day, I remember when they brought that out and it was like a DUI simulator to teach people not to drive and drink. Right. Um, but now it's like it's taking in that same concept of I'm going to allow you the chance to feel like you're on the road where you can, you can make errors. Yeah. You, can, you, you don't have to have that anxiety mm-hmm. and you can move past that. Have you had successful after uh, kind of outcomes from this where people have gone through the simulator and actually passed their driving test and feel confident on the road? Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, what's interesting is that the research, there's, there's relatively recent research now that indicates that while many individuals with autism have a, have a much higher barrier to learn how to drive, those individuals with autism who do drive are on average much safer drivers. Huh. It's funny is that like a lot of times is that we don't look at the, we don't look deep enough into the research is that we, we automatically have assumptions. Maybe we could learn something on our driving skills from the autistic population rather than the other way around. Um, but so you, you're conquering right now or helping people to conquer, you know, the ability to get to work, the ability to interview for work. You're helping those job coaches right now yeah. to be able to keep, maintain successful work environments. What is the advice that you're going to be giving to somebody who's out there looking for a job and maybe has failed historically because they don't have the right supports? What, what advice are you giving them when they come in? This is very important. I think even 10 years ago, Jeff, um, I would have had a hard time answering that question. In fact, it would have depressed me enormously <laughs> to even think about how I might try to answer that question. Happily, 
the world is changing and it's changing fast when it comes to employment opportunities for people with autism. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say to that person, and we meet them all the time at the first center. I mean, I mean, you know, multiple people per week come to us uh, uh, at the first center. They're in their thirties, forties, fifties. And they say, you know, um, I've tried, you know, 10 times in my life to have a job and, and I was never able to, you know, hold down the job for more than a few months. Uh, or I've been managing to, you know, to keep a job, you know, at a FedEx, you know, warehouse <laughs> for the last 10 years. Uh, but I know that I'm capable of, of much more. Um, I, I don't intend to criticize FedEx, but, you know, the idea of being underemployed relative to your mm -hmm. abilities. We hear that all the time. And what has changed compared to even just say 10 years ago is that now there are big companies with really, really good high paying jobs where people with a, you know, a broad variety of skills, which many of our autistic folks have, um, they can get those jobs because those leading companies have, are starting to lead the way in terms of their own internal transformation to be more inclusive, changing their recruitment and interviewing and onboarding processes. So I'm thinking about companies like Ernst & Young and Microsoft and SAP uh, here in Nashville, UBS, Tractor Supply, um, you know, a number of companies, uh, you know, mid to large to very large, um, are saying, we want to specifically recruit this population. We're making the necessary changes within our organization so that we can recognize that talent and support that talent and pay people, you know, market wage for these really, really good jobs. Yep. This is this is a great time to be an autistic adult looking for work, I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah and, and that's got to be wonderful to say. So I'm going to ask uh, you, uh, Dr. Stassen to take off his professor hat and put on his parent hat right now, because I look at this from, from my lens as a parent, is my whole job is to give my children opportunity, is to give them the chance to have the skills, to have the resources, to do what they want with their life. Historically, even when you did that as a parent of a child who's autistic, you weren't guaranteed that those opportunities were going to be there. Right. Where, where do you feel you're at right now as a parent? Are you feeling like, you know, I think we're, at, I think we're there. I think that I can tell my child right now that, you know, go out there, the world's your oyster. I'm going to give you the resources, but you can take advantage of it. Or do you still feel some hesitancy that, there are there's still artificial barriers that we need to break through. Mm -hmm. Right now, Jeff, honestly, I feel like the glass is 80% full. Wow. And, you know, so my, you know, my son is um, almost 15. Um, so, you know, it was about 10 years ago when we first learned he was autistic and 10 years ago, I felt like the glass was 10% full, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and look, I mean, what do we do as parents, right? I mean, you know, um, I like to say that, um, you know, I wouldn't change my son for the world, so I'm going to change the world for him, right? Uh, I want the world to be a place that sees him the way I see him. Mm -hmm. He has his challenges. We all have our challenges and our struggles, but he also has unique uh, abilities and gifts to contribute. 
And the reason I say that I see the glass as 80% full now is because there, there is now such a transformation occurring in the way that the corporate world is thinking about autism and neurodiversity that I can see a path for him um, that, 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 I, that I think many of us could not have even imagined 10 years ago. I can see a path for him into a, you know, a great job, um, earning a good living, um, you know, being independent. I think the remaining 20% uh, that we really need to keep working on is, uh, I would say, you know, 10% of the remaining 20% is, I would love it if when he becomes an adult and is looking at job opportunities that he didn't just see Ernst and Young uh, and Otacon and the Precisionists and, and Microsoft. Great. Mm-hmm. I would love it if he saw just a broad landscape of opportunity, the way that so many of us you know, have had. And so that's going to mean that we have to do a lot more work across the business world. And we're going to have to do more work to develop these uh, tools and technologies to better equip you know, folks like my son to be more successful in many more contexts. The last 10%, and now I'm getting greedy, but hey, <laughs> the limit, is... When my son, you know, goes to work uh, for Deloitte, I mean, he wants to be an industrial engineer, <laughs> um, and Deloitte is starting up a neurodiversity initiative. Um, when he goes to work for Deloitte, I don't want him to just have a good job. I don't want him to just be included and welcomed. I want him to see a path to the corner office. Yeah. So, you know, imagining leaders and the development of neurodiverse leaders, I think that's the future. And I think it's not that far off. Yeah. And I think that that story you just told is a, is a wonderful view going into World Autism Month. Um, for me, is that I'm, I'm celebrating opportunity. I'm celebrating inclusion. And I'm celebrating the acceptance. Um, I do know that there's so much work that goes into this, whether it's treatment, whether it's technology, and whether it's coaching the world around us, that still needs to keep going. But the, the way you just described your new viewpoint, five years after, 10 years, sorry, after you first had a viewpoint on, wow, this is, this is kind of where my cup is, um, that gives so much promise. And it, it gives hope that, you know, that last 20% is attainable. <laughs> and that's what I want to keep believing. Um, what is it that that you would be pushing out there? You have you have a large voice in the autism community based off of what you're doing at Vanderbilt right now. What do you want people to be thinking about this month being and not stop this month, but it's highlighted for World Autism Month? So you know, a lot of what we've been talking about here today, Jeff, is sort of the, the nuts and bolts. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, that's probably the most important, you know, that, that's where I'm that's where I'm putting directing my energies is mm-hmm. the tools, the workplace practices, right? Yeah, that's that's what I mean by the nuts and bolts. Um, but I think it's good, maybe one month out of the year, and this is the right month to do it, to maybe be thinking of more philosophically, maybe even theologically or um about you know what what does it really mean for people to feel like their lives have worth 
what do we need to do in the world around all of our loved ones so that yes we're building the pathways to opportunity but that their souls feel taken care of mm -hmm. they feel like this is a world that they were meant to be put on <laughs> yeah. and um <clears throat> so my colleague at vanderbilt eric carter uh has done a lot of work around uh, around this you know talking to individuals with disabilities including people with autism like you know what 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 are the components that allow you to feel like you belong mm -hmm. the idea of belonging and and he talks very eloquently about sort of the 10 the 10 steps to belonging starting with being present right you can't belong to something if you're not even allowed in all the way ultimately to feeling needed and loved. Now, you know, um, the workplace is not necessarily the place where feeling needed and loved is, you know, is, is where, where that needs to happen. But so I'm thinking now I'm talking j just more about our families and our communities, right? Yep. Um, and I think this is, this is a good month to be thinking about that whole fabric of society so that we're developing the nuts and bolts pathways to opportunities, but we're also thinking about making sure that people feel feel loved. And I'll tell you, um, one of the statistics that made my jaw and my heart hit the floor when I first learned it is that um, at least as of about 10 years ago, you know, the average life expectancy for a person on the autism spectrum was just barely over 50 years old. Wow. And, and that's not for necessarily medical reasons, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, co the comorbidity of depression mm -hmm. and of feeling isolated and excluded, right, has, has serious consequences, right? Absolutely. And so I think about my son's future. I think about his opportunities. I want to make sure he has a full life. Yeah, no, and I, uh, you know what, the, the way that you put that and the way that you're looking at it as far as the value and the value one sees in themselves and the value that the community sees in you is so important. And as much as this is World Autism Month, this is a societal yeah. component that, you know, there's so many marginalized groups, neurodiverse communities are a part of that marginalized groups is that we need to start really celebrating the value of the individual yeah. and celebrating what they bring rather than trying to find reasons that somebody could detract. We all detract at times. <laughs> Nobody wants holes, holes poked at them. We want to be respected for what we bring. And I think that what you're doing at the Frist Center will allow for that step to occur. And the message that you give is hopefully getting people to think through it. How can people get more information about the, the research and development projects that you're working on and, um, and the work that's going on at the Frist Center right now? Yeah, well, so we have a website. It's VU, like Vanderbilt University, vu.edu slash autism and innovation, all one word, <laughs> vu.edu slash autism and innovation. And um, not only can learn about the various techniques you know, tech R&D uh, projects that we have going on, like the examples that we've talked about here today. Um, but, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about here today, but that people can learn about on our website is we also have 
uh, an internship program at the Frisch Center, for example, where um, you know every year, especially during the summer, we bring in a dozen or more individuals with autism uh, to uh, to work with us at the Frisch Center, and in the process, get some job coaching, get some of that job readiness training, and then we have relationships with a number of these companies that have neurodiversity hiring initiatives. And we've been able to successfully hand off folks who have interned with us and benefited from some coaching with us to now um, seamlessly transition into great jobs. Uh, so folks can learn about that on our website as well. Um, and, and more generally learn about, very importantly, the employer partners, right? When it comes to employment, you know, we can develop all the tools, we can invent all the technologies, um, you know, we can come up with all the philosophies. At the end of the day, we need those companies and employer partners at the end of the pipeline uh, to be ready and, 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 and excited about um, uh, receiving the folks who are coming through our, our, you know, our trainings. Yeah, and, and I think it's such a wonderful resource. And I'd, I'll have to say is that I think that your students are extremely lucky to have you as a professor helping to guide through this process. Sounds like I went to Vanderbilt at the wrong time. I should have just pushed back my, my career a little bit longer so I could have gotten the, the opportunity to learn all this really important information. It's never but, too late. Um, I know. I, I should come in and, <laughs> and at least audit one class, right? The... Um, well, I appreciate you coming in and, and chatting with us today, Dr. Stassen. And, and, you know, I think that the community of, of autistics are, are very lucky to have so much innovation going in and to have a community of people that, that really are willing to broaden the topic, talk more, and support the initiatives driven by the autistic community rather than driving them. So um, I appreciate you coming in today and, and sharing your story with us. What a pleasure to spend this time with you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank <music> you.